Welcome to Marriage Steps with Dr. Wyatt Fisher. We're reducing the divorce rate one marriage at a time is the goal. And following my six marriage steps is a path to help get us there. I'm your host, Dr. Wyatt Fisher, licensed psychologist and marriage counselor. This show is for you, America, your life and your marriage. So call 303-596-6836 or email info at drwyattfisher.com. That's D-R-W-Y-A-T-T-F-I-S-H-E-R.com with your questions for me. Today, I'm going to focus on four keys to resolving conflict. So to start with, why should we care? Why should we care about conflicts and how we manage conflicts in marriage? Is it even an issue? And I would argue it's a massive issue. Some studies I've read say that how couples handle their conflicts is one of the biggest predictors of possible future divorce. So it can make a big impact on a couple, and it makes sense if we think about it, because in conflict, if we get harsh, that damages the relationship Or if we avoid the conflict, that can also damage the relationship because when we avoid and we sweep things under the rug, we often will withdraw emotionally or we become passive aggressive or we become snippy in our comments because we're not getting out what we feel. However, a lot of us don't know how to get it out in constructive ways. So we either go from one extreme to the other, we're either passive and don't say anything or we attack and we're harsh and neither are constructive. So I would argue that all couples need a tool on how to manage conflict. And ideally, they would agree on what tool they're going to use to manage that conflict. Think about a toolbox. Every married couple needs a toolbox, a metaphorical toolbox. And you need to be able to reach into that toolbox for certain tools based on what you're facing. And conflict is a big one. So you need to be able to agree on, here's the tool in our toolbox. So whenever we have a conflict, we agree that we're going to pull out that tool and use it to fix this problem. So the tool that I use, that I encourage couples to use, and I train couples to use, I call it the floor. There's a lot of conflict resolution skills out there, a lot of different methods, and this is one that I've read bits and pieces of through the years and put my own spin on it, and so I call it the floor, and I found that it's very helpful for couples I train it to, and I also use it in my own marriage. So this is something I'm practicing what I'm preaching. So the floor has four steps. Each of these steps are very important. You don't want to skip any of these steps or it won't work. And so step one of the floor is de-flood. So by definition, when you are flooded, your heart rate is above 100 and your body goes into fight or flight. And when you're in that state, the blood flow goes to your core because your body is getting ready for fight or flight. And so it cuts off the, the blood and the oxygen from your brain. And that's why it can be hard to focus when you're upset and why you say things that you forget when you're upset. And so step number one is to recognize when you're flooded and to take a break to de-flood. So you have to learn what does it look like for you when you get flooded. Maybe your your face feels hot or you have tingling in your head or you have a pit in your stomach. But recognize your signals and your partner's signals so that one if one or the other gets flooded, you call a timeout and you say, flooded, just say the word, flooded, 
And that represents permission for both of you to take a break. A lot of couples have one partner who's the pursuer, another partner who is the withdrawer. And so during conflicts, one person doesn't want to let it go, and the other person wants to avoid the conversation, so they retreat. The more they retreat, the more the other person pursues, and a vicious cycle happens. So the step one with D-flood means that both you and your partner would agree that if one of you are flooded, you're going to take a time out. You're going to give the conversation a break. And you're going to go your separate ways for at least 20 minutes. It takes at least 20 minutes to de-flood. And I would recommend taking no more than 24 hours. You don't want to use de-flooding as an excuse to never come back and resolve the topic. And some people do that. They'll say, oh, yeah, sorry, flooded again, can't talk about it. Oh, whoops, flooded again, sorry. So don't do that, okay? Don't use it as an excuse to avoid. But if you are feeling flooded or your partner's feeling flooded, say the word flooded and then give yourself at least a 20-minute break up to 24 hours and agree when you're going to come back to keep talking about it. During your break, you need to do whatever is going to physiologically calm you down. You have to get out of the fight or flight stature and posture for your heart rate to slow down, the blood to go back to your brain for you to think clearly and to sift through what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? How much of this tension is my part? How much is it their part? You're not going to be able to think through that while you're flooded. So whatever is going to lower your heart rate is what you should do during the deflooding time. So for some of you, maybe that's taking a nap. For others of you, maybe it's going for a jog. Maybe it's listening to music. Whatever it is for you that's going to lower your heart rate, that's what you have to be doing during the de-flooding phase while you're thinking through what am I feeling and why am I feeling it, how much of this is my part, how much is their part. So once you've done that, you come back and now you're going to do the next step. So this is the The next step is called the speaker-listener, and some of these strategies you may be familiar with, and this is the longest part of the floor method. So the speaker has to hold an object to signify they have the floor. So I always joke with couples and say, make sure it's something soft because you're going to be throwing this object back and forth. So don't use a brick. Don't use something sharp. Use something soft, uh, whatever that is for you. But you need some type of item to indicate you are the speaker. You have the floor. Now, there's a couple guidelines when you're the speaker. The first guideline is you are not allowed to say the word you or always and never. You is accusatory always and never are generalizations. Your partner is going to hate both of those if you use them. Because if you say you, they're going to feel attacked. If you say always and never, they're going to feel like you're globalizing and they're going to think to the exception when that did not occur. So that's the first guideline. So you can't say you and you can't say always or never. The second guideline as the speaker is you want to identify and express your tender underbelly. Anger is usually a secondary emotion. Think of it as like the hard crust on top of a pie. And underneath that hard crust is something soft, the filling of the pie. So underneath your harsh anger is probably something soft, like I'm hurt. I feel sad. I feel scared. I feel insecure. I feel hopeless. That's what you want to identify and express because if you express anger, your spouse is going to feel attacked. But if you express this tender underbelly, it naturally pulls at the heartstrings of your partner. 
The next guideline for being the speaker is you want to keep what you have to say in one to two minute sound bites. Now, on this topic that you're discussing using the floor, you may have six things you need to say, six points. However, each point, you need to express it in a one to two minute sound bite. And then pause so your partner can do their part, which is the listener. And I'll get into that in a second. The reason that's in there is because some of us, when we get upset, we get into monologue mode where we will not shut up and we just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then it's almost impossible for a partner to track everything we're saying and they tune out. So one to two minute sound bites. The last guideline for the speaker is a trigger question. So you have to ask yourself, what I'm feeling with my partner right now, does that remind me of anything I felt growing up? So if I'm feeling rejected from my partner, did I ever feel rejected growing up? If I'm feeling voiceless with my partner, did I ever feel voiceless growing up? If I'm feeling criticized from my partner, did I ever feel criticized growing up? You want to ask that question because sometimes, but not always, but a lot of times when we get upset because of what our spouse is doing, it's rubbing up something from our background. Now, that doesn't mean that your partner is innocent because they're probably doing something that's encouraging you to feel that way. However, it also means it's probably not 100% your partner's fault because you're probably having a wound that may be getting stirred up from your past. So that's an important question to ask yourself. Is what I'm feeling similar to anything I've ever felt growing up? You ask yourself that question and then that's part of what you share as the speaker. So for review, the speaker holds the item and the four guidelines for the speaker is you can't say you always or never, identify and express your tender underbelly, use one to two minute sound bites, and ask yourself if you've ever felt what you're feeling growing up. Okay, that's the four guidelines for the speaker. Now, the other person is the listener and the listener can only do two things and they're both empathy based. They can either say, I can see how you would feel, and then they're going to repeat back your tender underbelly and why you feel that way. Or they can say, that makes sense, and then they're going to repeat back your your tender underbelly and why you feel that way. Now, the, the challenge comes for the listener if it doesn't make sense to them what you're saying, or they can't see why you would feel that way, because that's going to happen a lot. But that's not what I'm talking about here. So... If empathy towards your partner is contingent on if you would feel the same thing, then you're going to be very limited with how often you can empathize. And that's not empathy if you're only thinking of it from your perspective. What empathy is, is you have to get out of your shoes, walk over and put on your partner's shoes and think back to their childhood, the stuff they went through, the trauma they've been through, their insecurities, their temperament, their uh, wiring, their value system, all those things that makes them who they are. If you really put yourself in that mindset, now it will start to make sense why whatever just happened between us is making them feel that way. That's where those comments can come from. That makes sense that you feel hurt because of the comment that was made, et cetera, et cetera. Or I can see why you would feel hurt 
because of the the comment that was said came off in a certain way that made you feel insecure. That makes sense. So you always can empathize with your partner even if you disagree with them. And that's a very important point. So again, the listener can only say two things. I can see how you would feel. Then you repeat back your partner's tender underbelly and why they feel that way. Or you can say, that makes sense. And then you repeat back their tender underbelly and why they feel that way. So the speaker holds that item and they may have one thing, one point they have to get out. They may have six points they have to get out and they hold the item the whole time. And again, in between each point, they pause for the listener to do their part. Then once the speaker has gotten out all they need to say, they pass the item to the listener and now you take turns. Now the listener becomes the speaker and the speaker becomes the listener. Now the speaker is going to do the exact same thing. Now they're going to share their side of, of what happened and their perspective and their tender underbelly and, and, and how it's maybe triggering something from their background. They're going to share that and then they're going to pause between points so the listener can do their part. Then when the speaker is done, then they pass the item back over and then the roles reverse again. And you keep going back and forth, back and forth like that until both of you have said everything you need to say. Once that occurs, you go down to step three. And step three is both of you need to summarize the other person's perspective to their satisfaction. An interesting side note, in world peace conferences, every leader has to summarize the other leader's perspective to their satisfaction before they can go into negotiation talks. Because you really can't negotiate on solutions until you can really see a situation from your the other person's perspective. So that's what we do in this conflict resolution skill. You have to summarize one another's perspective to their satisfaction. The other reason I add in there to their satisfaction is sometimes we'll throw in our own spin, such as, well, since you're uh, self-absorbed, what I hear you saying is, (laughs) and obviously that's not going to go over well, because people throw in digs all the time, and then it's not going to be to your partner's satisfaction. So you have to say what you think they're saying, you summarize it, and then you ask them, is that correct? Did I miss anything? And they can clarify Once you've done step three, then you move to step four, and this is the last step. And step four is you're going to brainstorm on solutions to honor both of you moving forward. It's ideal to start with what you can do different because you've just heard your partner's perspective. You've heard what they felt, why they felt that way on the topic. And so ideally, you would start with what you could do to honor them. And they would do the same thing. They would start with ideas that they could do to honor you. So you want to start there. You don't want to start with what your partner should do different because then you're fixing. Start with what you could do different. And then once you've exhausted those ideas, then you also can suggest what your partner could do different that you would appreciate. But don't start there. Start with what you can do different. And in the brainstorming section, there's no wrong ideas. You're just throwing out ideas. They may be good bad, good ideas. They might be bad ideas. It doesn't matter. The main thing is you're generating ideas on how to solve this issue. 
once you've generated several ideas, then you you have to brainstorm together on, okay, which of these ideas do we both like? Which of these ideas do we both think would solve this or reduce the chances of this happening again? And ideally, you both would be having at least one to two items that you're going to personally work on moving forward. You don't want to end the conversation with just the husband having things to improve on or just the wife having things to improve on. You want to end it with one to two things you're both going to be working on to improve whatever just happened. So that's the four steps. And as you're going through these four steps for the floor, make sure you don't get off topic. It's very easy to pull in other subtopics or other topics over here, over there, because it's going to remind you of other feelings. Don't do that. It's going to make it way too complicated. So you have to stick with one topic at a time. I would highly encourage you to make an agreement in your marriage that moving forward, we are not going to talk about hard stuff or conflict stuff unless we do it using the floor. It's a great way to protect your relationship so that your conflicts don't keep damaging it. So as review, the floor includes step number one is D-flood. Step number two, you have a speaker and a listener going back and forth, back and forth. Once you're finished, step three is you're going to summarize one another's perspective to their satisfaction. And step four is you're going to brainstorm on solutions to honor both moving forward. Thank you for listening to Marriage Steps with Dr. Wyatt Fisher. For more marriage resources, please go to my website, drwyattfisher.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your family and friends. And if you believe in my mission to reduce the divorce rate one marriage at a time, please consider becoming a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash marriage steps. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash marriage steps. Take care.